Storytelling inspires, engages, and moves people to action. It's a superpower that anyone can learn. Welcome to Story Powered with your host, Leanne Pico. Stories can hold you back, and stories can move you forward. Let our program help you activate your storytelling superpower and take your business to the next level. Now, here is Leanne Pico. Hello and welcome to Story Powered. I'm Leanne Pico, your host. I'm so glad you could join us today. I've been really, I'm looking forward to this show for a while um, because I get to talk to one of my favorite story authors today. Uh, But before I tell you about that, I want to thank my guests from last week. I had a, a really fun time chatting with Karen Dietz of Just Story It. Karen shared the storytelling trends that she's coming across in her story curation site on Scoop It. And um, I really recommend you have a listen because there's there's some really cool stuff. Storytelling and story um, story is evolving. So there's a lot of new stuff coming out. And she, she shares a bit of that. So have a listen on the on-demand library on the Story Powered page. But don't go there just yet, because we have one of the most popular story authors here today. We have Paul Smith, who is the author of Lead with a Story and Parenting with a Story. And he will be sharing some of the stories from both of his books to help us understand how to build character in others in in terms of leadership, but also in terms of your kids. Um, I tend to think they're both very similar in some ways, so we'll talk to Paul and see what he thinks. Um, But before that... I want to share one of the stories from Paul's book, Lead with a Story, uh, for the story of the week. So this story is called The Pizza Story. So 30 years ago, Sterling was a cook at a pizza restaurant in Springdale, Arkansas. As Sterling tells it, a lady came in one day and asked if we had meatball sandwiches. When I told her we didn't, she got very upset, on the verge of tears. So I said that even though we didn't have it on the menu, we did have sandwich rolls, meatballs, tomato sauce, and mozzarella cheese. Since we had all the ingredients, I told her I could make it for her and just ring it up as one of the other sandwiches on the menu. She thanked me profusely and then explained that her husband was very sick and had lost his appetite. She was desperate to get him to eat something and had asked him if there was anything that sounded good. He told her he might be able to eat some of, some of a meatball sandwich. She'd been to several restaurants already and no one could help her. We were the last stop she was going to make before going home empty-handed. She took the sandwich home and I didn't think much more about it until the next day when she called the store and asked for me. She told me her husband had eaten as much of the sandwich as he could manage and was very grateful she was able to get it for him. It was the most complete and most enjoyable meal he'd had in days. Then she explained a bit more about her husband's condition. It turns out he'd been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer a few months earlier. His loss of appetite was the least of his unpleasant symptoms, but perhaps the only one she could provide any comfort for. So it meant a lot to her that I'd been so flexible with our menu. Then she told me that he passed away quietly during the night. That sandwich was his last meal. She was crying by then, but thanked me again and said it helped make his last day of life a little more bearable. It still touches me to this day and is a great reminder that even seemingly small things we do for others can have a big impact on their lives. So Paul wrote this blog, uh, wrote, this story was in from his uh, book Lead with a Story, but he wrote a blog this week and included this story. And, it was a, and the reason I wanted to share it with you is it's a great example of how this business and exceptional customer service made an impact in the lives of others. It's an amazing story to share with new employees as an example of the kind of customer service the company expected and the kinds of things that the company had done to go above and beyond. 
However, as Paul pointed out in his blog this week, the story was never shared. And it ended up being a lost opportunity. So it's great to talk this week about story and about leading with story and parenting, but it's also really important that we think about how are we finding stories in order to share them. So how are you collecting and sharing stories like this in your business? How do you train new and current employees in the characteristics you want them to have and display to the world? We're going to talk a little bit more today about that, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about character. So you'll get some ideas on uh, both how to find stories, but also how to share them in order to build character in your employees, your leaders, and your kids. So I'm delighted to introduce you to Paul Smith, who is one of the world's leading experts on business storytelling. He's a keynote speaker, storytelling coach, and best-selling author of the books Lead with a Story and Parenting with a Story. He's also a former executive and 20-year veteran of the Procter & Gamble Company. As part of his research on the effectiveness of storytelling, Paul has personally interviewed over 200 executives and leaders in over 20 countries. His work on leadership and storytelling has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Inc. Magazine, Time, Forbes, The Washington Post, PR News, Success Magazine, CIO Magazine, Investors Business Daily, and London's Edge Magazine, among others. So he is uh, very well read as a, as a leadership um, expert, but in terms of the public press, but also uh, I can personally vouch for his two stories. Um, I was just telling Paul earlier that Lead with a Story was one of the first books that I picked up um, to look at in terms of storytelling, and it really, uh, it hooked me. So now I spend all my time in story, and so um, I was thanking him for that because it's it, it was an amazing story to, um, amazing book to be able to, to delve into. And then I was also more recently, um, I had the pleasure of reviewing uh, Paul's newer book, Parenting with a Story, and as the mom, I'm a nine-year-old boy who really doesn't like being told what to do. It was immensely valuable, so I highly recommend it. So, Paul, welcome to Story Powered. Oh, thanks very much for having me. It's my pleasure. It's great to have you here. So, um, so tell us a bit more about you. What's your story, and how did you how did you get involved in the whole storytelling and leading and parenting stuff? Yeah, well, you know, I, I probably uh, followed a, a pretty safe and traditional career path for for most of my working career. Um, and, and like you said, 20 of those uh, years of my 22 or so working years I spent at Procter & Gamble. Um, but probably, I don't know, maybe 15 years into that is when I finally realized, and maybe I'm just a slow learner, but I finally realized that uh, storytelling is an important skill set that I needed to have if I wanted to be an effective leader. And I guess I'd, I probably just learned it from, from um, observing some of the leaders at the company that I admired the most and wanted to be like and work for and and grow up to be like when I was a little bit more senior in the company. Um, but that was one of those skills that I realized nobody ever taught me. You know, they, they didn't teach me that in business school. It wasn't something they taught me when I joined the company. Um, you know, there, there, there weren't, at least at the time, a whole lot of books on the subject. And, um, and the, the few that were out there ended up leaving me a little bit, still not knowing exactly uh, how to go about this storytelling thing. So that's when I, I just kind of launched off on my own um, journey to learn about it, interviewing a bunch of leaders around the world and finding out what stories they were telling and in what situations and were they effective or not, and, and really just kind of ended up reverse engineering my way into uh, what good storytelling looked like. And, and somewhere along that journey, of course, I, I realized, well, gosh, if, if I want to know this, maybe other people do as well. And so it, it turned into uh, a book project and not just Paul's personal <laughs> learning journey. Uh, so that's what, that's what led to the book. Um, 
But you'd asked me, uh, since this is a, a, a storytelling show, I am probably required to, to share one with you. And I'll, that would I'll be great. You, yeah, <laughs> so I'll, I'll tell you that uh, just that realization, just having published that book and, um, and feeling wonderful about that and, and, and enjoying the writing process and, and speaking to audiences around the world, that, that definitely captivated me, and it, it, it made me decide that I'd rather do that for a living than, than kind of the nine-to-five corporate job that I had. But the truth is, I, I just didn't have the guts to do that. And so I, uh, I, I figured you're never too old to uh, uh, get advice from somebody older and wiser than you. So I wrote my father a letter, my 80, 80-year-old father a letter, and asked him for advice. Um, said, you know, this is, I got this uh, thing that I want to go do, but gosh, there's not a lot of financial security in it, and I'd be walking away from a steady corporate paycheck and benefits and all that. And, um, and I had to write him a letter because he's hard of hearing, so I, I can't really talk to him on the phone very well. Well, anyway, he wrote me back, and I thought he would just give me advice, like, you're crazy, keep your job, <laughs> you know, you're just a few years away from retirement, you know, or go, go do it, of course. I, uh, but he didn't. What he did was he just he shared a story with me about himself when he was five years old that I had never heard before, nor had any of my siblings. And he said, essentially, when he was five years old, he, he knew exactly what he wanted to do with his life, what he wanted to do for a living. He said, I, want to be a, I wanted to be a singer, um, you know, like Frank Sinatra or Tony Bennett. You know, he's 80 years old, so that's, that's his genre. And he said, in fact, the first day of first grade, the teacher asked if anybody had any special talents. And he said, I raised my hand immediately, and I told her I can sing. And, of course, any good teacher is going to immediately ask him to, to stand up and sing a song, right? So, uh, so he did. He said, I stood up, and right there in front of the teacher in the class, I belted out my favorite song, you know, right there, a cappella. And he said, I nailed it. <laughs> I got all the words <laughs> nice. and all the melody right. And he said, awesome. I was so proud. I got to the end of the song, and the other students and the teacher stood up, and they applauded me. And he said, and that's when I knew that that's what I was destined to do with my life. And he said, unfortunately, that turned out not just to be the first time in my life that I sang in front of an audience, but it turned out to be the last time I sang in front of an audience. And he said, son, life just got in the way. And the truth is, I just never had the courage to pursue that dream. And he said, and I have regretted that for 75 years. And he said, someday you're going to wake up and you're going to be 80 years old like me and it's going to be too late to pursue your dream. And, and as if that wasn't enough to convince me, I, that he closed this letter literally with these words. He said, I'd love to see you achieve your dream, but that doesn't mean in your lifetime, son. That means in mine. You know, oh, love that. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So you're, you're oh, feeling what I felt at that moment, yeah. which is here's my 80-year-old father. He obviously doesn't have a whole lot of years left. You know, yeah. He's like literally laying the gauntlet at my feet. And challenging me to pick it up, you know, and saying, not, "Don't not wait." In the future, but right now, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so, literally, two days later, I walked into my boss's office and I resigned from my twenty-year career to pursue this dream of being an author. And it would—I would not be here at least this soon, were it not for that story from my father. That's amazing, and it just shows, in, um, you know, in terms of leadership, that there's there's leadership in all aspects of life, and I can see why um, you then kind of got interested in in parenting with a story, because you know, ultimately you were led to your career because of your dad's storytelling. Yeah, and, and there are a number of other uh, similarities as well. In fact, the, the whole idea for the parenting book came during the writing of the first book, and as I was getting feedback from people on the stories. I consistently heard people say, wow, you know, 
I could really use that story at home with my kids too. And it slowly dawned on me that, that leading a group of people at work and being and parenting children at home, there really is there are some similarities. Obviously, some differences, but but similarities in, in both cases. Like you're in both cases, you're you're in some ways the boss of them. Uh, you're responsible for um, their their care and, and feeding in some ways and their development. You want to see them succeed. Uh, so there are a number of similarities, and that, that's when it just became very clear that uh, that's the second book that needs to needs to be written. And it's great, and I I, I totally agree with you because I have to sh- share that I was a nonprofit leader for many years, and I uh, my value base was using story, was um, enabling people to make decisions for themselves, and and um, really a, a kind of uh, an employee led type approach to leadership. And then at home, all of a sudden, I would come home and and um, tell my son what to do all the time, yeah. and kind of feel this disc and be like, one, well, he doesn't listen to me as well as my employees did when I did. Asked to do stuff, and then secondly, uh, there was kind of a disconnect with with me in terms of who I was at work and who I was at home. Mm-hmm. And when I figured that out and realized that I could use some of the same techniques, like using story at work as, uh, at home, like I did at work, it, it actually became um, easier to parent. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I wish you'd called me uh, a few years ago. I could have started this journey a little earlier. <laughs> it, it took me longer <laughs> to figure that out. <laughs> well, no, it, I did, that didn't happen overnight. It took me a good long yeah. time, but uh, but that's why I love the fact that you you did both because it's it there is a real synergy between leadership and parenting, and then there's also just the the piece I think around um, utilizing story as a way, um, as I said to to kind of help people make decisions for themselves. And that's the piece in the parenting book. And we'll, in the third segment, we'll talk a a little bit more about parenting. But I wanted to ask you about the character piece because that is something that, you know, it's really hard to teach um, character. And in all, and, you know, for me, uh, particularly in raising a child, um, you know, a lot of times that needs to be developed by letting them go through stuff and then helping them figure it out. Whereas your book enabled me to think about, and it's funny because I'm a story professional, and it and I was like, yeah, of course, I should be using story a lot more at home. Um, but your book really helped me think about being proactive around character development. Yeah, well, and I, I think you really nailed it there. With a, a lot of times, we just have to let our kids experience things and, and learn them for themselves. And so, I, I would not disagree with that at all. Of course, um, experience is always the best teacher, but a great story is a close second. And, and the truth is, you don't want your kids to have to learn every, all of life's most important lessons by making right. their own mistakes. Right? They, yeah, they would be yeah. they, they'd be in jail. Right? Right? So you, you want <laughs> them true. to learn from their mistakes, plus you want them to learn from your mistakes so that they yes. don't have to make yours. They can make all new, <laughs> new mistakes, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and then, well, wouldn't it be best if we could teach them not just from our mistakes, their, their parents, but what about if you had a hundred other parents um, who had you know, their own set of life mistakes and, and learnings along the way that your kids could benefit from? Well, wouldn't that be better than, than being limited to your own? And that, that's really the idea behind the book is, is all of us, by the time you get to your 40s or 50s, uh, and certainly beyond that, you've made a lot of mistakes. You've, you've learned a lot of important life lessons. Um, and wouldn't it be great if, if you got the two or three best life lessons from 100 different people and put them between two covers of a book, and, and that could be some wisdom that your kids learned from 
instead of, like we said, having to make all of those mistakes themselves. They're, they're going to make their own mistakes for sure, but wouldn't it be great to limit them uh, by giving them somebody else's mistakes and, and life lessons to chew on before they make them themselves? That's right. And and historically, that's how people did teach. And so that's the interesting part is I feel like you've brought us back to something that's been core uh, for a very, very long time in humanity. But the disconnect that we now have because we live so far away from each other, or tend to parent alone or, you know, our, our kids aren't, aren't aren't necessarily listening to elders in the same way um, because they don't have the proximity or the, you know, spend as much time. Right. So that's the other great thing I think about the story was was a bringing us back to a time when, like, that's how kids learned for, for a very yeah. long time. Absolutely. And, we, you know, we've, well, we've lost the campfire, right? And the, right. Uh, the sitting around the dinner table, we're, you know, we're all distracted with uh, you know, TV and video games and iPhones. And, and you know, a lot of families don't even eat dinner together yeah. anymore. Yeah. So, so the venue for sharing those stories has largely been lost uh, and taken over by other distractions. And I, I, it's unfortunate, but... Um, I think if you if you have some great stories to tell, uh, it, that, that's the the biggest part of the battle. If you start telling those stories to your kids, they're going to actually come ask you for them. I, I know that my yeah. children do that now. They literally will ask me, "Tell me another story now. Tell me another yeah. story." <laughs> yeah. uh, whereas you know, five years ago, that wasn't the case because I didn't have yeah. any to share. Yeah, no, my son does it too. It happens to be usually about five minutes after he's gone to bed. At the moment, <laughs> tell me a yeah, story of when a you were young, mommy. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's and it's great that you say that because I think that you're right. The campfire um, is is no longer there, and there it, it's stories promote discussion, and they they actually um, are engaging to get people to come to us. And I think that that's similar to leadership as well. So in a way, we've lost a lot of the face to face time that we used to have. We're firing off emails, or we're having quick you know, Skype meetings or it, it, we're just not giving the time to really spend um, thinking and talking about things that are happening in the company, I think. Yeah. You know, and you touched on something important there. It's not just about telling a story and then when you're done telling it, well, then the lesson's over. It's the discussion yeah. that you have about it. In fact, that's, uh, I actually have a, a, a discussion guide that goes with the, the parenting book for every story, for all 101 stories, there's four or five unique questions to start a, a, a meaningful dialogue between parent and child. And the same thing ought to happen at the office. You, you share a story of your experience. That, that ought not be the end of the conversation. That should be the beginning of the conversation. The story was the starter to a good discussion where the, a lot of the learning is going to take place. Absolutely. I love that. And again, it's, it's that kind of piece around leading um, with, um, and by facilitating people making their own decisions and, and, and um, exploring issues themselves. So, so we're going to um, take a commercial break now, um, but we're going to continue this conversation and we're going to focus on leadership in the next um, segment and talking about how you can um, start thinking about story as a dialogue, creating a dialogue. And Paul is going to share some of uh, some of his stories that, that he collected in his research. So um, after the break, it is story time. And um, I look forward, we look forward to having you back with us. This is Liam Pico, and you're listening to Story Powered on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more story, you can sign up for my monthly story blast at verygoodstories.com. I'd love to connect with you and we'll be back very soon. to 
business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Activate and grow your storytelling superpower with Leanne Pico of Very Good Stories. Stories inspire, stories engage, and stories move people to action. It's pretty powerful stuff. Story coach Leanne Pico will help you develop your storytelling skills to be a more effective leader, build a more powerful brand, or create a team of storytelling powerhouses. You can email Leanne at leanne at verygoodstories.com or check out her website at verygoodstories.com. Contact Leanne today to grow your storytelling superpower. For women, the pressure to achieve is stronger, the work hours longer, and the struggle for respect and authority more complex than ever. You want guidance on how to succeed, and you are not alone. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern for our special series, Game Changing Women. Powerful women leaders will help you make sense of it all, analyze how you can change the game, and share their playbooks. Game-Changing Women, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Story Powered with Leanne Pico. If you want to find out more about Leanne or the program, connect with us on the web at verygoodstories.com. Now, back to Story Powered. Hello, welcome back. So glad you're uh, hanging out with us today. I am talking with Paul Smith, the author of Lead with a Story and Parenting with a Story. Um, I'm one of the we're talking about one of my favorite topics today, which is um, well, story as it's one of my absolute favorite topics, but also about character development um, and and thinking about how we enable our employees and other leaders and and kids to develop character in a way that embeds it into their their growth. Um, and so we we're just talking about uh, story being a dialogue starter rather than. I'm going to tell you this story and now you're going to walk away and and um and do as I whatever you think I'm telling you. <laughs> so we're we're going to really spend some time now in terms of looking at stories that that Paul has found in his research and they're in um a lot of them are in his book Lead with a Story and start and really talk about how how to tell stories in a way that that provokes dialogue rather than just um, instructs. So, um, Paul, do you want to give us some examples of of how um, of stories that you people could use to develop character in leaders? Yeah. So, um, character development, I think, is a, definitely one of the many areas where storytelling can help. Um, one of my favorites actually comes from uh, Bob McDonald, who today is the uh, Secretary of Veterans Affairs, I believe, in the Obama administration. But prior to that, he was the CEO of Procter and Gamble, uh, for and uh, and of course spent most of his career there. Um, but before that, he was a um, a a student or a cadet at West Point, so the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, uh, uh, you know, for college. And he learned his first week there a very important lesson that actually served him well throughout his entire career and probably still uses it to this day. And that is. When, uh, as a cadet there, when you're faced with a question by a superior officer, you're only allowed to give one of four answers, apparently. And those potential answers are, yes, sir, no, sir, 
I don't understand, sir, and no excuse, sir. So nice. that's it. And he, he gives a, a wonderful example. He said, so, so the whistle blows, and I've got to put on my dress uniform and run out to formation for inspection. And while I'm standing there, somebody runs by and steps in a puddle of mud and splashes the mud all over my, my trousers. Well, then the, you know, the drill sergeant comes over and gets in my face and says, McDonald, why do you have mud all over your trousers? You know? He says, so I've got to think through. I've got four answers I can give. I could say, yes, sir. Well, that's just restating the obvious, so that's not an appropriate answer. I could say, no, sir. But that would be obviously lying and probably get me thrown out of the academy, so I can't say that. I could say, I don't understand, sir. Well, that would just make me look like an idiot, um, and I was doing a good enough job of that already my first week at school, so I'm not going to use that one. So I'm left with number four, no excuse, sir. And he said that hmm. turned out to be the most powerful one of all for so many situations that I found myself in. Um, you know, it, it, it acknowledges the situation, takes responsibility for it, and essentially promises not to let it happen again. All of that in those f- three words, no excuse, sir. And so he, he found that that served him well. And the, the, the character lesson, of course, is responsibility and accountability uh, you know, for yourself. Even if it wasn't your fault, you're taking accountability for it um, you know, is, is a, a sign of a strong character. And he, he actually learned that lesson again as a parent. So this actually story serves both purposes because... Uh, when he and his wife, their, their first child, her name was Jenny, by the time she was six or seven years old, you know, they, uh, they were having difficulty getting her to clean her room. And so they were debating on how to admonish their, their little one, and they consulted all the Dr. Spock books or whatever. I mean, they were, you know, uh, doting young parents. And uh, they actually scripted out what they were going to say. Both of them had a role. Their mom and dad were going to go up to her room and essentially chastise her in a nice way, but make it clear that she really needed to clean her room. So they go up there. They find her in a room. They've got their script in hand. Bob says, Jenny, your mother and I would like to talk to you about the condition of your room. And Jenny looks up at him and with all the seriousness of a West Point cadet says, no excuse, Dad. It won't happen again. (laughs) And, I mean, you know, can you imagine them standing there dumbfounded? A, obviously she's been listening to him tell his, his West Point stories. But B, everything that's in his hand, his script, and his yeah. wife's script is now completely useless because yeah. in those seven words, she accepted responsibility for it, acknowledged the condition of her room, and promised to clean it up. So yeah. all of the parenting is now done. So notice that that story, not only it does what the boss wants to hear or the parent, it tells them, hey, I'm still on this, and for the direct report or the child, it saves you the chewing out. Because, yeah. well, there's no reason to chew you out anymore. You, you've already accepted responsibility for it. You know, so, so as he's being a leader, you know, through all of these companies and organizations he, he's led, you know, he doesn't want to hear excuses from people like, well, the economy was soft or competitors did this. No, 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 no. No excuse, sir. I, I want to know that you are still committed to our original goals. And so he's found that story to be a very compelling one to get people to accept responsibility um, and accountability for for their job for their role. That's amazing, and I and I think that um, as you said, I mean the the great crossover with that story is that it it is about because um, again in both situations, um, kids and employees spend an awful lot of time worrying about getting into trouble for stuff, and so if you could save time um, I, now, if they could save time by actually cleaning the room, that would be better. But. Right. <laughs> However, but this is the piece about character, right? Which is, and, and uh, I think it would be a very proud parent moment um, that he would have had there with yeah. his daughter. That would have been Absolutely. an amazing moment for him. 
Yeah, she learned from him, and he didn't even know he was teaching. Yeah, yeah. So that, yeah and that's, that's story, that's right? That yeah. is story. Cause, uh, it's, and it's not about, it's about being strategic. It's not about sneaking in the learning, but it's about enabling people to remember things that you've told them in such a way that they can incorporate them into their own experience. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know what, in fact, let me, let me tell you a different one, and then let's you and I see if we can tease out the lessons, because the second okay. one, I think there's a lot of lessons in. It's not quite as straightforward as that one. So this okay. one actually comes um, from uh, John Pepper is who I, I heard this from, but the story is about Sam Walton. Um, and uh, the, uh, this is way back in the day when Sam was, of course, alive and running Walmart. Um, you know, at that time, bef- when his business was first getting started in Texas, H-E-B was one of the largest grocery retailers in Texas. And then at some point, um, Walmart became a, a larger retailer than, than them. So the CEO, uh, the then CEO of H-E-B, which is the grandson of the founder, I believe his name was Charles Butt, uh, called Sam and said, look, I'd like to bring my executives to, to Bentonville to learn from you. You, you guys have obviously, you're obviously on to something, and uh, we want to we learn. And if you wouldn't mind teaching us, we'd love to learn from you. So he said, okay. So they set a date and a place to meet in one of the Walmart stores there in, in Arkansas. And um, the uh, executives from Texas get on the airplane. They fly there. They, they show up at the, the appointed store. And they find Sam Walton there at the end of an aisle talking to a woman about an ironing board cover. And, and he, essentially, he was trying to sell her this, this ironing board cover. And, of course, they've flown all this way. There are all these you know, wealthy people and took a private jet in there, and they've got this important meeting. And so they walk <laughs> up the aisle way to kind of eru- interrupt and start talking to Sam Walton. And he, he holds his hands up and says, Charles, I'll be with you in just a minute. Um, I'm talking to this young woman about an ironing board cover, and I'll, I'll be with you shortly. And he spends another three or four minutes talking to this woman about you know, the selection they have and what kind of ironing board covers are the best, et cetera. And, and finally, uh, she picks one, puts it in her cart, and shoves off towards the cash register. Um, and he, he, he turns then to Charles Zutt, Sam Walton does, and says, Charles, do you know how many worn-out ironing board covers there are in this country? And Charles says, well, I have, I have no idea, but I suspect you're about to tell me. And he said, we're going to sell a million this month. Um, and so Charles leaves, and then, of course, they go on their tour, and he teaches them what he can teach them, et cetera. Um, but just that interaction uh, in that aisleway right there, uh, once that story was shared around Walmart, taught the employees at Walmart a number of lessons about the values of the man who ran the company. So let's see if you and I can just think of what those might be. Like I, I'll, I'll start with the one that I think is maybe the most obvious, and that is that he let those those executives come to his store to teach them. So that tells me that he thinks that other retailers are our competitors, but they're not our enemies. You know, we work in the same industry with the same purpose, which is to serve the consumer. And if we can help each other without giving away competitive secrets, you know, maybe we should. That's one thing. What what stands out to you? You know, what stands out for me is the customer comes first. Yeah. And that kind of like pay special attention and finish the interaction and be helpful um, right. rather than, you know, oh, I have some very important people. I'm a very important man, and I need to exactly. go and talk to them now. Yeah, Exactly. The customer is number one. So, I mean, they can tell their employees the customer is number one. Yeah. But when the CEO shows it that way and then you <laughs> share stories about him demonstrating it, that's very different. 
It is. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's also just to, I, I just wanted to comment on that because that's, yeah. for me, it's one of the main ways that a great leader finds stories is by being on the shop floor, by right. interacting with customers. I don't understand how people, um, leaders often, how you know, they, if you don't talk to your customers, how do you know how, how yeah. you're doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I and collect think, their I stories, think right? Uh, yeah. I think that's another one of the lessons from this story is that, you know, how yeah. did Sam know that there was this big need for ironing board covers? And the answer right. is he got out there and found out. He, he was out amongst the shoppers in his store instead of sitting behind his mahogany desk, right? And, so, and organizing a focus group. Right, right. So you can see, that you, you can probably yeah. find two or three others if you just yeah. thought about it for a while. But stories like that are rich in their ability to teach values, which is, of course, a, a large component of character. Absolutely. Now, Paul, in terms of that, so what? So if we look at the story, we, we've got two examples of stories there. Um, how? What are the elements? So I could tell a, a long rambling story that got me nowhere, but I'm just wondering, what are the elements of a of a story to help somebody build character? Like it, obviously, you've got your beginning, middle, and end, but it, it's deeper than that, right? It's it's there's something. How can somebody approach telling that kind of story in order for it to have the impact that they're looking for? Yeah, so I, I, I think all stories, uh, business stories, and gosh, maybe, maybe all stories in general, have to have at their base you know, th- three things. And, and that is you know, a, a relatable hero who's seeking a worthy objective and facing a relevant challenge. You know, so the, the, the person that the story is about has got to be somebody that's relatable to you. You know, if, if it's... Uh, an NFL football star, and that's nobody you're ever ever going to be. Then that might be an entertaining story, but it's not going to help you, you know, do your job better. But right. if it's a story about the CEO of the company that you work for, and he's out there on the shop floor, you know, <laughs> meeting employees or meeting customers, I mean, that's highly, you know, relatable to you. That's that may be something you should be doing. And and uh, you know, seeking a worthy challenge while well, trying to help the customer. Well, that's obviously very relevant to me. Um, you know, so. I think those are kind of the three main components. It's got to be about somebody that I can relate to. They've got to be trying to accomplish something that I would think is important. You know, if they're just trying to uh, have a good time or cook a great barbecue or something, and I'm and that's just not something that's important to me, then I'm not going to be interested in the story. And that third thing is they have to run into some kind of a challenge that I'm likely to run into myself. And so you just take the Sam Walton story there. Um, how likely is it for an employee at Walmart or any store to be there in the middle of an aisle and some other employee or business partner mm-hmm. come up and start talking to you? Well, of course, it probably happens all the time. Yeah, right? And it probably often would distract you from serving the customer. So that, there's a story that has all three components, a very relatable hero uh, seeking a worthy objective and faced with a relevant challenge or villain or somebody getting in the way to thwart them from that worthy uh, goal. Okay. So I think if you so, start with that, yeah. you're almost always going to end up in a good place. Perfect. And then, and then in terms of, so I guess in terms of motivation, so I'm, say I'm a leader and I'm looking at my workforce and there are things that I would like them to change. How do I go about choosing the right story then? Yeah, so hopefully you've got some uh, things that have happened that are either successes or failures um, to draw upon for a story. So sometime in the company's history, probably somebody has faced a challenge and made the right choice that shows the right kind of character or values that you want uh, the company to embody. 
And so you can tell that story. Here's an example of somebody doing this the way we would like it to be done. Uh, but your failure stories are just as helpful. So, well, here's an example where somebody faced a similar situation, and they absolutely did the wrong thing. Here's what they did. And, so you, and, and you can see then all of the bad ramifications of, well, the consequences of that bad decision. Um, so those are the best two places to look for at, at successes in your past, at people demonstrating that value, or failures. The third place I always suggest is uh, I call them moments of clarity. It's when did you learn the lesson that this is a good character trait to have? It may have been when you were a kid. It, it doesn't matter. Nice. But whenever you learn that lesson, if you tell people the story about that moment you learned that lesson, then they will probably learn that lesson. Nice. And that's the West Point story. It does that really strongly for me. Yeah, exactly. That's an example. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's great. So, um, you know, so we've got a bit of story structure there and then we've got where we find them. But um, so here's a here's a question, which is, you know, because, again, and, you know, we're not perfect but telling stories and utilizing stories to, to bring dialogue. It, it takes time to build up mm-hmm. um, uh, some ability and talent and uh, not talent is it's 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 to practice so we've got about a minute till break but in that time can you tell us what kinds of mistakes business leaders sometimes make when they're when they're creating stories for wanting to do character stuff yeah you know the, the most common mistakes i see with really with all types of storytelling is apologizing or asking permission to tell a story. And you've seen that happen. People will be in the middle of a conference room in a, in a meeting and somebody raise their hand and say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt, but can I just tell a quick story? I promise it'll only take a minute. Uh, <laughs> what does that communicate to the rest of the people in the room about how much value you think the story has? Yeah. It, n- not much, right? Not I mean, much, if you're apologizing and asking permission to tell it, you clearly don't think it's that valuable. And if that's the case, don't tell it. Right? In fact, I don't even think you should tell people you're going to tell them a story. I mean, when you, when yeah. you start your story with, let me tell you a story, and it, it just sounds patronizing and, and very, okay, kids gather around type thing. And that's just not the way yeah. you do it in a professional setting. If, if your story has meaning, you know, then just tell it. Right? Leaders yeah. don't ask permission to lead. They just right. lead. And so the same with telling a story. If you're going to tell a story, just start telling it. Don't announce it. Don't apologize for it. And certainly don't ask permission for telling it. That's excellent advice. Because the other thing is, is that when you do share stories as a leader, I mean, part of the, the powerful nature of it is that the person feels like you're sharing something personal with them. So when yeah. you announce it, it just it throws that out of the water because yeah, they know that you're point. trying to give them a lesson, right? So Right. It becomes impersonal when you announce yeah. it. Yeah, that's a very good point. I like that. It's true. It's true. Okay. Well, we're going to need to take a break now again. Um, we're listening. We are uh, story-powered. And you're listening to myself, Liam Pico, and my guest, Paul Smith, who is the author of Lead with a Story and Parenting with a Story. Now, you can get both of Paul's books on Amazon.com, and I highly recommend it. Um, both have amazing stories that you'll be able to use in your own leadership and your own parenting, but they also really model how to tell uh, stories really well. And Paul gives you some amazing tips about how to choose and craft your, your narratives. Um, you can also go to his website at leadwithastory.com and get the books, but also find out about Paul's speaking and, and all the great stuff he does around story. So we will be back soon to talk about parenting and using story. So stay with us. Voice 
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Activate and grow your storytelling superpower with Leanne Pico of Very Good Stories. Stories inspire, stories engage, and stories move people to action. It's pretty powerful stuff. Story coach Leanne Pico will help you develop your storytelling skills to be a more effective leader, build a more powerful brand, or create a team of storytelling powerhouses. You can email Leanne at leanne at verygoodstories.com or check out her website at verygoodstories.com. Contact Leanne today to grow your storytelling superpower. Conversations concerning money can be a bit daunting. There can be limitations with building wealth. And in general, people don't want to discuss their money until now. Listen each week for Conversations with Money, featuring Franco Caligiuri and Marissa Sipolinski. Our guests make money the conversation piece. How to build and maintain wealth, working with charities, and money and family members. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Story Powered with Leanne Pico. If you want to find out more about Leanne or the program, connect with us on the web at verygoodstories.com. Now, back to Story Powered. Hello, welcome back. I'm Leanne Picot, and I am chatting today with Paul Smith, who is the author of Lead with a Story and Parenting with a Story. Um, and we've been we've had a great chat so far. Um, it's gone very quickly, always does when I'm excited and interested in the topic. So I'm hoping that uh, um, we'll be able to cover quite a lot in the last segment, um, which is, you know, we're going to focus on parenting. So we talked about leadership in, in the second segment, really focused on that. And, and Paul gave us some great examples of two stories that um, that demonstrated how you can emulate or uh, lead with character and share the kind of character you're hoping your employees will pick up um, in your company. But now we're going to talk about parenting. And um, we, we talked at the beginning of the show that, that they're both very similar. Um, however, in my experience, um, my employees uh, more often did as I asked them to the first time than my kids did. So I'm looking forward to talking to Paul about this and about how we can use story in our parenting in a way that, that guides and enables our kids to make decisions, but also enables them to, to do the things and move in the direction that we're hoping for them. So what do you think, Paul? Yeah. And do you want to give us some examples of, of how to use story and parenting and to develop the kind of character they're going to have over the long term? Sure, sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm just thinking. You can't. You can't fire your kids. So no, right. You've got a little bit more leverage over the folks at work, <laughs> but uh, in both cases, you certainly want to lead them in the right direction. So um, right. That is the problem. That is yeah, the problem. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Here, a, a good example to to illustrate a, a story, and then how to use that story, and how a child can use that story to to uh, navigate a difficult situation would be um, like standing up to peer pressure. That's a pretty common. You know, character building moment that that kids have, and uh, I probably learned one of my best lessons about that uh, again from my my father. Uh, but this was when uh, I was probably 17 years old, and he'd gotten me a job working at the company where where he worked. He was a uh, a manager there, and I got a job literally a file clerk. 
uh, you know, and I swept the floors at night and, you know, the kind of the lowest man on the totem pole. Um, but I was so excited when I found out that once a year, my boss was required to take me out and buy me a free lunch. And that was on what we called at the time Secretary's <laughs> Day, which I, I suppose is Administrative Professionals Day now. Right. But I was technically yeah. a secretary, and so I, I was so excited that day I was going to get my free lunch. And, um, and everybody at, at that company, all the managers were taking all of their secretaries out for lunch that day. And so um, we, we all went to the same restaurant, and they had prepared two meal options to make things go faster. And so I ended up sitting at the same table, of course, with my boss, who sat across from me, and then my father was a few chairs down across from his administrator. And the waitress came over and to take a order, and she said, okay, we have two options today. Um, one is a quiche Lorraine, and one is a club sandwich. Now, you have to know that this is, I'm, I'm a- dating myself here, but this is back in the mid-'80s, and right after this book, uh, Real Men Don't Eat Quiche had come out. Oh, right. And, right, so even if you'd never read the book, you know what it's about. It's a, it's a tongue-in-cheek look at the feminization of the American male. And so, of course, none of the men are ordering the quiche because this book had just come out, and they, were, they didn't want to be branded less than masculine, and, and most of the women were ordering the quiche. And so all the guys were getting the club sandwich. And, of course, when it was my turn to order, I very quickly ordered the club sandwich because... You know, I was 17. I was insecure enough in my masculinity as it was. So anyway, it gets around to my dad, and my dad says, you know, I've never had a quiche. So how about this? How about you bring me half a club sandwich and half a quiche? That way, if I don't like the club sa- or the, the quiche, I, I got my club sandwich. Well, the abuse began immediately. So the other men at the table, and since this is a family-friendly program, I'll just say it this way. They began to challenge his masculinity in more colorful <laughs> language than I'd ever heard in my life at that point. Right. Okay, so I was mortified. Right, I'm like sinking down lower and lower into my chair as they are just abusing my father verbally, and just t- terribly embarrassed for him, for me. The whole thing was just awful. And um, three or four minutes of this went on, and he finally breaks down. He calls the waitress back over, and of course I'm thinking, oh, thank God, this nightmare is going to be over. And the waitress gets back over and he says, I'm sorry, I've got to change my order. I'm the guy that ordered the half a club sandwich and the, the half a quiche. And I need you to take back that half a club sandwich, and I need you to bring me the entire quiche. And I mean, it was silent at the table. I mean, their jaws had hit the floor. You know, they, were, they had already started high-fiving each other at their, their, their victory when they had to stop, when they realized that he had really gotten the better of them. Now, the truth is, I don't know if my dad likes quiche. But that day, he ate that whole quiche with a smile on his face. And whether he wanted to or not, the lesson he taught me was that part of what it means to be a grown-up is to not care so much what other people think. Yeah. Right? Now, like I said, he didn't intend to teach me that lesson, but that's certainly what I learned. And my, you know, my admiration for my father hit an all-new peak that day. Now, here it is 30 years later, and I've got two boys of my own. And I've shared that story with them, and here's how they can use that story. That story is not just useful if somebody is teasing them about eating quiche, of course. So today, the example might be somebody at school is teasing my, my son about his pants not being low enough. You know, they, they've, and it's cool to have your pants hanging off of your waist yeah, so much yeah. that your underwear is showing, right? Right. Well, so... What is he going to do about that teasing? He could, you know, he could get in a fight over it. He could argue with them. He could, you know, run away. I mean, uh, I could give him all kinds of advice. But when I tell him that story and he comes home and complains about it, all I got to do now is say, "Well, have you tried eating the quiche?" Mm. And he thinks about that and he goes, "Oh, 
So then he goes back the next day, and all he has to do is now he's next time they tease him about it, he pulls his pants up even higher, <laughs> and they go, "Wait, no, 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 they're too high already. Pull them down lower." Well, then he pulls them up even higher, and now he looks like Urkel, right, walking around with his pants up by his chest. And you can imagine how quickly his tormentors would just get exasperated and walk away. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there he's navigated a a difficult situation with class and dignity and without getting in a fight, without arguing with anybody, all by leveraging the wisdom in the story about my father. Nice. I love it. Use these stories. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have a trigger word. You have the quiche as the trigger word. Yeah. And that that's the beauty of that kind of story and, and again, um in choosing parent story you know, parenting stories. Because it's not necessarily the case, and this is the same with employees, but particularly with kids as they're going through different life stages. If you have told a story like that to him when he was younger, then I mean that all the way through he will like that's what a gift that is yeah. for him to just go, Oh, quiche, quiche moment. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll give you one other example, I think, in the, the time we've got left. And this will illustrate the value of having a surprise ending in your story, which I think is very important because it helps seal the lesson into memory because it, it triggers a little bit of the adrenaline that, that makes things uh, that happen just before that more memorable. And so this particular example is from a, a young boy and that grew up in Colorado. And this would have been in the 1970s. And his older brother had gone off to the Peace Corps in the Marshall Islands. And after two or three months, he was ready to come home. But he called, called his parents first and said, Hey, this family I've been living with has another teenage boy my age, and he's never been to America. Um, could I bring him home with me? Can, could he stay with me, with us, for a few months? And they said, Well, sure, let's go ahead and do so as long as it's okay with his parents, let's do that. And so they both come home, and this young man's name was Torlik. And one of the first few days that he's at their house, they're, they're outside playing basketball. The whole, the whole family, or all the boys, the, the, the little boy, five or six-year-old, that the story is where I, I got the story from, the teenager, and Torlik, and the father of the, the, the household. And they're out there playing basketball, and the homeowners association president happens to drive by and see them outside playing basketball. And he stops and, and comes over and talks to the father, pulls him aside, and has a conversation with him, and apparently... He's basically complaining about Torlik being there. And he, he essentially says, look, it's okay if you want to have this kid live with you for three months. But if you're going to have him outside playing basketball where everybody can see him, it might be best if it wasn't between 5 and 6 o'clock like it is now when everybody's on their way home from work. Oh, now, wow. if, if you're reading between the lines here, you're, you're yeah. realizing that Torlik, being a native, a native of the Marshall Islands, his, his skin is many shades darker than right. the rest of this very Caucasian 1970s suburb, you know, neighborhood. So it was just this, it was this this bigotry moment. Now, Ed, the boy that told me the story, you know, from when he was five or six years old, noticing this happening with his dad and his older brother, he wasn't privy to the rest of the conversation about, did his dad argue with the man? Did his dad say, oh yeah, of course not? I mean, he, he doesn't know anything about how the rest of the conversation went, other than there were no fisticuffs involved. What he does remember vividly is that for the next three months, every day his dad would come home from work at 5 o'clock, come, walk down the hallway and yell, Torlik, it's 5 o'clock, time to play basketball. <laughs> and that's his memory wow. of how that yeah. was resolved. And so um, obviously his father was demonstrating in some small way what civil disobedience looks like. You know, you, you don't have to be a Nelson Mandela or Martin Luther King to to. to 
to stand up for what's right. You can do it in your own small ways every day, confronting bigotry where you find it. Now, he was too young to learn that lesson if his dad had explained it to him intellectually. That's right. Yes. But by doing that, and then by him, now he shares that story with his daughters so that they know that, you know, sometimes it's just okay to just not do what the authority figure is telling you to do. If it's not a, a respectable objective, just don't do it. In fact, do the opposite. A little bit of what my, you know, my dad taught me yeah, is, yeah. is quiche moment. Um, so, so there, so, but the, the, the secondary point in that, other than the lesson, was to share with your audience the value of that surprise ending. You know, I could have yes. told you up front that this is a story about bigotry and that it was uh, how his dad you know, had, had kept playing basketball with this kid after 5 o'clock and le- now let me tell you the details of the story. But yeah. that would really ruin the story. It, it, the, this yeah. surprise ending that really makes it a more interesting and memorable thing, right? Right. Uh, that's a great example. Oh, it's a great story, first of all, because, um, again, we remember Torlik, and, and he's, a, he's a person rather than an issue. So that's right. helpful. I think that's where a story is helpful, too, again, personalizing. Yeah. But also, um, so that, there's something there, Paul, about the how. So, um, you know, about how to use, how to tell a story as a parent so that, you know, because the temptation could be, now let me tell you a story about racial bigotry, Right, like the, it's the same, it's yeah. the same thing with leadership, right? And as parenting, it's kind of um, you know you lose the kind of personal connection if you if you say I'm going to tell you a story too, right? Or and give the game away. Yeah, and in fact, it's it's the opposite of a newspaper article. I mean, right. articles in the newspaper are often called stories. Oh, I read a story in the newspaper. Well, no, you read an article in a newspaper because yeah. newspaper reporters are taught to give away the entire story in the first sentence. You know, family of six saved from fire in the, you know, wherever. Okay, well, that's it. I know the ending. They're saved. Or family of five die in a a hurricane. Okay, I know know the ending already. You know, and then they tell the rest of the the article. So storytelling is very different than newspaper article writing. You know, you're not trying to just get the facts out there as quickly as as possible, you you want the audience to come along with you on a journey. You're you're taking you want them to see in their mind's eye the story as if they were watching it happen live. If they were there with Torlik and little Eddie, you know, in that Colorado neighborhood, or if they were there in that restaurant with me and my father, you know, if you're seeing something happen, you don't know the ending until the ending, and that's what a story should do. It should transport you to that place. Yeah, and so including detail, like you could have said a sandwich instead of club sandwich, right? Like it's Mm. kind of, it it gives you, the clubhouse sandwich gives you more, like it's including detail like that also um, makes it a story, right? Rather than just just the facts, ma'am. Yeah, I I think so, So, some amount. I'm not a fan of going on for paragraphs and paragraphs. Oh, no. (laughs) The the, the smell of the grass and the texture of the cardigan sweater. and I mean, that's, that's romantic. 19th century yes. romance, you know, poetry. Yeah, type absolutely. Stuff. No, brevity is important. Brevity yeah. is important. So, well, thank you so much, Paul. I'm, we're about to wrap up, but I, I really appreciate you um, taking the time to share, uh, you know, the, the stories that you found in relation to leadership and parenting, but also the kind of the rationale and some great tips for leaders and parents to use story in their, their own lives. So thank you so much for being here. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for having me. 
You're welcome. So, so just to remind you um, that you can buy Paul's books at um, Amazon.com or on his website at leadwithastory.com. And Paul's books are called Lead with a Story and Parenting with a Story. I highly recommend you grab both um, because although there are stories in each book that um, kind of cross over to the other and that you can actually use, so then you've got two books of great stories. But there's also the the um, the important stuff around how you craft the narrative for business and also for kids. And, and you really don't want to mix those two, those two things up in terms of uh, how you tell stories. And then, um, you know, again, just uh, reiterating Paul's point, which is you never tell anybody a story by saying, let me tell you a story. So um, that's a really great point to learn. So I'm looking forward to, um, so again, thanks to Paul Smith for coming and, and I hope you'll get those books because they're, they've been valuable tools for me and, and I think they will be for you. Um, um, so next week, I will be talking to Stephanie Sims of Finance Ability. And this is a new one for us we haven't talked about before. So I'm really excited to talk to um, Stephanie. And it's about shaping and sharing your story to attract investors. So for those of you who have, are a startup or who are looking for financial support, um, this is one not to miss. And, and even for those of you who already have a business up and running, you may want to pay attention because this is, you know, you may want to take it to the next level or, or, um, you know, for me, this is really about convincing anybody in authority, um, about the value base of your business and of, of what you're offering. So Stephanie will talk to us about how story really helps that investment process. And, um, so look forward to talking to her about that. And I also just wanted to remind you that I have a story blast every week that I send out and I would love to connect with you. Um, you get lots of story coaching tips and resources and a story from me to help you uh, build a better business and, and share your impact with story. So Story Powered is on every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks so much for joining me, Leon Pico and Story Powered. I'll see you next week with more story. Thank you for joining us this week for Story Powered. Leanne Pico invites you to tune in for another engaging program next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll help take your story and your business to the next level.